Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Thank, thank you guys for being here and everybody out there in TV land or online land or whatever you want to call it. If you've never seen me live on camera before, I'm sorry. This is it. This is what it is. Um, the other thing, if for anyone who's watching and listening to this service uh, live or after the fact, if, you've, uh, <clears throat> if you're wondering why the heck I'm wearing this Evil Knievel shirt, uh, this, is my, this is my regular attire. Uh, I wear this kind of stuff during the week, and I, I wear it on Sundays. We talk about this quite a bit. Um, I'm a believer in being who you are uh, every day of the week, um, not pretending to be something that you're not on any one day over another. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a motocross and motorcycle guy, and this is, <laughs> this is how I normally dress. Now, as to why I have an Evil Knievel shirt on, that's a different story. Uh, I loved Evil Knievel ever since I was a little kid. I used to have that little toy where you'd stick it, the Evil Knievel guy in and wind it up, and then the motorcycle would go, and you'd set up ramps for him and stuff like that. I was always a fan. I'd watch him jump his motorcycle on Wide World of Sports. That was a thing, kids, back in the day. Um, and... <clears throat> watching documentaries on Evil Knievel's life, and he lived an amazing life, and not good in a lot of ways, but he lived an amazing life um, and a wild and crazy life. Uh, he had, <clears throat> at one point in his life, he was one of the, if not the, highest paid athlete in the world. Uh, he had private planes uh, and you're talking in the 70s, you know, in, in late 70s and early 80s. You know, he had private planes and mansions and the money and the women and, and the, whole, the whole thing. And uh, as so many people do, you know, he blew it. I mean, he, he lived recklessly. He spent his wealth recklessly. Uh, at one point in time, a guy had written an autobiography, or not an autobiography, a biography, an unauthorized biography about Evil Knievel. And uh, Evil Knievel read it and became very, very angry because the guy said a lot of stuff that was true. <laughs> and so he found the guy and beat him with a baseball bat. This is the kind of guy Evil Knievel was. And he ended up losing his wealth. He ended up losing all these things. But at the, at the end uh, of Evil Knievel's life, he did find Jesus Christ. And he gave his heart to him. Uh, and, and watching interviews with him, um, at the end of his life, sitting in front of his very meager home, uh, with his wife uh, and hearing his testimony, uh, I just became even even more of, a, of an evil Knievel fan uh, because you find out uh, as you go on in this life and the longer you walk with the Lord and the longer you watch this world that the things that really matter, the things that are really of value, the things that really uh, are, are not considered wealth by the people of this world, but what is true wealth are the things that come from God. And he finally found that. So that's the reason for my evil Knievel shirt. Plus, my daughter bought it for me, so I have to wear it. So, uh, We are in the book of Numbers <clears throat> this morning, and we are in chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15, and we are going to be uh, picking up in verse 37. Numbers chapter 15 and verse 37. And I want to read through the last few verses of this chapter, which are the verses that we're covering today. I want to read through these with you. Uh, and then I want to go backtrack, and I want to talk about some other stuff, and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll revisit these verses. But Numbers uh, chapter 15, uh, Numbers, of course, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the fourth book of the Bible. Numbers chapter 15, starting with verse 37, and it says this. 
Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. That's an important verse. And that you may remember and do all of my commandments and be holy uh, for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Uh, so if any of you have ever seen uh, a Hasidic Jew with a prayer shawl on, on the corner of the prayer shawl are these tassels, and they're called, and I'm going to mispronounce it, but they're tzitzit. <laughs> I, I actually looked it up and listened to the audio recording of how it's pronounced, and I'm probably butchering it, but that's what it's called. And there are these tassels that are on the corners of the prayer shawls. And nobody knows exactly when God had directed Moses to have them put these, these fringes on their garments or these tassels on their garments exactly where they were originally and exactly how they were originally placed. Uh, but they carried that tradition on from that time even until today. Um, and it's interesting, the colors uh, of the tassel. It's a, it's a white tassel, but it has this blue thread in verse 38 to put a blue thread in the tassels uh, of the corners. And that's one of the things that we see visually throughout the Old Testament in the book of Exodus uh, in the book of Leviticus and into Numbers and Deuteronomy as God is instructing the children of Israel in building the tabernacle and the articles and the priestly garments and all of these things. There's a lot of repetition as far as the coloring. And there's a lot of symbolism that goes along with the coloring. You have, of course, the gold of the articles of the temple, the ark of the testimony. You have the uh, altar of incense, the table of showbread, of course, the menorah, all these things made out of gold. But then in a lot of the fabrics, in the curtains, uh, and in the priestly garments themselves, you always see these colors of blue, <clears throat> of scarlet, uh, uh, of purple, of blue and purple and scarlet. You see this continually throughout the book of Exodus uh, and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy in all sorts of the different tapestries within the tabernacle. And it's very uh, significant, these colors. Um, you have the blue color, which is the color of God's glory. It's also the color of the priesthood. You have uh, the purple, which is the colors of royalty. Uh, of course, you had the gold in the, in, the, in, the, in the tabernacle and then the articles that also represented God's glory. But then you have the scarlet. Uh, scarlet, of course, being the color of blood, which is, of course, the atonement for sin. And there's also the verse in the scriptures, of course, that says, though your sins be as scarlet, the Lord would, would seek to make them as white as snow. So a lot of symbolism within the colors. Um, but before we get to that, I wanted to read a couple of verses for you. Just, just kind of bring it back to where we are today. Uh, the reason that we're sitting here with just a couple of people in the seats and everyone else is online uh, listening on Facebook or, or whatever you're listening today, um, everything that's going on with the COVID-19, the coronavirus, and uh, you know, all of the, the worry and all of the fear, and of course a lot of the questions that go along with it. What does this mean? To some people, it means absolutely nothing. Uh, other people are certain that it does mean something. Other people think that it's one thing that's going to lead to, to other things. And you get those questions. Does this fall somewhere into to Bible prophecy? Is this a judgment that comes from God? So, you know, I read the scriptures for yourself. And that's really the best advice that I could ever give anyone is 
this is why you need to read the scriptures. This is why you need to know and understand the scriptures because I can give you the scriptures that speak to me and I can tell you this is, this is the way I interpret the scriptures and this is what I see happening in the world today. Uh, but these are things that you need to be prayerful about and read the scriptures for yourself. But I want to read a couple of scriptures for you. The first one is in the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke chapter 21. And I want to read verses 10 through 11 and verses 34 through 36. Now, just to set this up for you, this is right after Jesus Christ had, had told the disciples uh, as they were looking at the temple and marveling at the huge stones, and he made this prophecy that not one stone would be left standing upon the other, but they would all be cast down. Uh, and then later, privately, the disciples went to Jesus and they asked him, what, when will these things be and what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age. Well, speaking of his coming, this is what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 21, we're going to read verses 10 and 11, and then we're going to read verses 34 and 36. In 10 and 11, Jesus said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. So this is what Jesus says concerning the signs of the end times. When his second coming is approaching, these are going to be some of the things that we're going to see happening. Well, a lot of people would say, well, they're, they're, they're kind of vague. And these are kind of things that we've seen throughout our history, world wars. Of course, you know, COVID-19 is still pales in, in comparison to the, the Spanish flu that took place back in, in the early 1900s. Uh, so these are kind of things that we've seen throughout our history. So what is Jesus talking about when he says those things? Well, the first thing that we have to understand is, biblically speaking, the end times or the last days began when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. The church age, all of the church age, we are in the last days, okay? But specifically concerning Jesus' coming for his church, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, this is what Jesus said, that nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs from heaven. This is something that Jesus Christ is telling the, directly to his disciples. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ, the word of God, would say to you that you need to be watching. The Lord always wanted us to be watching for his appearing. Uh, that he always wanted us to be expectant that his return was going to be soon. And he wanted us to conduct our lives in such a way, which we're going to get to those verses next. And so <clears throat> to, to some people who look and see at the things that are happening around the world today, they may look at those things and say, yeah, it, no big deal. Same kind of stuff to varying degrees that have happened throughout history. But if you're a believer and you're a student of the scriptures and you're watching what's happening in Israel and in the Middle East and around the world and you're seeing so many of these things, to us, we see imminency. We see the soon return of our Lord. But this is what Jesus said in verse 34 and 30, uh, through 36 to his disciples concerning these last days and concerning seeing these things begin to happen. This is what he said to his disciples. But take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, this is his instruction to us, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these, all these things that will come to pass 
and to stand before the Son of Man. So this is what Jesus Christ is saying to his disciples. These are some of the signs. These are are some of the things that you're going to see happening before my second coming, before my return. However, here's what I want you to focus on. Christian, this is what you need to be concerned with. Not just simply looking to the skies and waiting for Jesus to come back, but that our hearts are here in the now, are here and present in this world today doing what God has called us to do. That's what he wants us to focus on. He wants us to be concerned with how we're treating our family, how we're treating our neighbors. Are we living our lives to the best of our ability as representatives of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we walking in the light like the scripture talks about as he is in the light? You know, walking in the things of the Spirit. Are we focused on these things? Or are, as, 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 are we doing the things that Jesus warned his disciples not to do? Are we weighed down by the cares of this life? And we can all confess that from time to time, been weighed down. I mean, I have been so often weighed down by the cares of this life and caught up in life and caught up in really the blessing of it all so often. Yeah, we have tough times as well, but so often our lives here in the United States of America are pretty, pretty nice compared to so many other places in the world. And it's easy to get sidetracked and distracted from the task that God has given us. He's given us a task. He's called us. Remember when Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, and it was not just for them, but it was for you and I as well, to go into all the world and make disciples of people. Make disciples of people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and also teaching them to obey all of the things that I have commanded you, Jesus said. That's what the church is called to do, and that's what our focus should be on. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Uh, The Gospel of John, chapter 14. Now, of course, uh, this is Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper, Uh, He has washed their feet. He has shared the Passover uh, and instituted what we call communion with the disciples at this point in time. And now he's talking with them and he's teaching them in a very prayerful way. And this is one of the things that he says to them in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. And believe me, their hearts were troubled. They were afraid of what was coming up. Jesus Christ had been telling them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, he's going to be crucified, and on the third day he's going to rise from the grave. And that had not happened yet, and they still didn't fully understand just what the heck that meant for them, what that was going to look like, how that was possible. Even though they'd seen his miracles and seen him do so many of the amazing works that he had done, this was something that they had never heard before that Jesus was teaching them. And they were upset about it. They were frightened about it. But Jesus says this to them, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, And the way you know. And I love this part. And of course, the guy's name is Thomas, right? His name has to be Thomas. And a lot of times, you know, I've heard guys say that, you know, the the, the, the disciples, because so often they did not understand what Jesus was talking about. And so Jesus is saying this almost in a rhetorical way. The way, you know, you know where I'm going and you know the way. And Thomas says to him, oh, Lord, we we don't, we don't know the way. We, We don't know, we don't know the way. 
We don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said this to him. And this is so very important that you understand what the Lord was saying here. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Interesting how he answered Thomas here. Thomas was concerned with the how. How exactly are we going to go to you? How exactly are we going to physically enter into your kingdom that you've been talking about? And Jesus redirects him here. What Jesus is saying to Thomas is, the way to get into heaven, the way to share in my glory, in my kingdom, to take part in all these promises that I've given you, Thomas, here's what you need to focus on. Here's what you need to think about. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And that's what your focus needs to be on, following Jesus Christ, following the teachings and the commandments of Jesus Christ. He is. And when he says that here, it is singular in every sense. I am the singular, the only way. I am the singular truth, the only truth, and I am the life. There is no other way except through me to go to the Father. Now I want to go over one last verse with you, and this is in the book of Titus. Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 2, and verses 11 through 13. And here's what Paul says to Titus, who was a young pastor. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And here's what that grace, here's what that salvation teaches us. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And here is the important thing for us to look at today. And at the same time, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What Paul is doing in an indirect way here is referring back to what Jesus said to Thomas. Here's what Paul says. The grace of God, the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus, this is what it leads us to. This is what it leads us to if you're a follower of Jesus. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age while looking for the return of Jesus Christ. That's what God's will is for each one of us who are in Christ Jesus. That we would, to the best of our ability... Now listen, and I can't go over this again and again enough. I can't reiterate this enough. We are going to blow it. We blow it every day in one way or another. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that doesn't stop once you come to Jesus Christ. And those of us who have walked with Jesus Christ for years and years and years, we know we didn't stop being a sinner. We just started being forgiven because of the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you and I. But our desire, our heart as a follower of Jesus Christ is we want to live to the best of our ability in a godly manner in the world that we live in today. Everybody is going after the worldly lusts. Everybody is chasing after money or fame or power or sex or drugs or whatever the case may be. Everyone is chasing after something. But God is saying through the Apostle Paul, that's not how it ought to be for you guys. But you ought to be focused on living the life according to the commandments of Jesus Christ in a godly manner, in a sober-minded manner, thinking about the weightier things that pertain to this life, which is the salvation of men's souls. 
the salvation of people's souls. That's what we ought to be after. That's what our hearts should be inclined towards, towards telling as many people as we can about the blessed hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Paul refers to the coming of Jesus Christ as, the blessed hope. And what that means for the Christian is as we see these signs and as we see some of the things that Jesus talked about that were going to be manifesting themselves in the last days and we hear about wars and rumors of wars and we see the nations from the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel gathered around the nation of Israel and we see all of these things beginning to take place, our blessed hope is in Christ's return. It's not that some politician or some king or some government or some person or some group of people is going to come up with the answers for all of this and fix this world. Jesus Christ is the answer, and he is our blessed hope. Now, from there, I want to go right back to Numbers, okay, and chapter 15, and starting with verse 37. The Lord again spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations to put a blue thread in the tassel of the corners uh, and have the tassel that you may look upon it, remember all the commandments of the Lord, and to do them, and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. So God's saying a couple of things to Moses here. First of all, he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make these tassels. I want you to put them on the edge of your garments, and I want you to put a blue thread in them. Now, interestingly, uh, if I can find it here, this is a beautiful, beautiful verse, and it's when the children of Israel... Um, were on the uh, Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 24 and verse 10. And here's what it says. And they saw the God of Israel, and there were under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in his clarity. Uh, so what, we, what we're taught is that the sapphire and the blue therein, what it represents, and notice that God's feet were standing on this pavement, as it were, of sapphire, this perfect, clear blue color. And what the uh, ancient scribes uh, believed, and the teachers of the Talmud believed, is that um, this was a representation of the oceans, of the seas, and the skies, and the seas that reflected the skies. And this was the color blue that they put in their tassels and in so many of the other uh, articles of the tabernacle. And so there's a remembrance there of the glory of God. And this same blue thread was in several of the priestly garments. If you would like to turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 28 and verses 36 to 37, here's what it says. And this is concerning the priestly garments uh, that, were, that were to be worn by Aaron, by his sons, who were the priests, the high priests of, um, of Israel in that day. You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet. And here's what it was to say, holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. turban. So this was the priestly hat. Uh, that the priest wore. It was to say holiness with the Lord, and there was this blue cord. Exodus chapter 39, verses 21 and 22 says this, and they bound the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord, so that it would be above the intricately woven band of the ephod. 
and that the breastplate would not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the robe of the ephod a woven work all of blue. So again, we're seeing these color blue uh, repeated again and again. In Numbers chapter 4, it goes through all of the important articles of the tabernacle within the holy place. The Ark of the Testimony, the Table of Showbread, the Altar of Incense, the Menorah, all of these things, when the tabernacle was broken down and they were to move these articles, all of them were covered with these coverings of blue. So it's this idea, it's the color, this idea of the priesthood. And what is the priesthood representative of? Well, the priest is the one that goes between God and man. It's the one that takes the requests, takes the petitions, or takes, in this case, the sacrifices of the people and brings it to God, and then in turn brings God's word back to the people. people, rather. It's a separation that's there. Okay, it's a separation. Remember, God told Moses, nobody can see my face and live because he's a perfect, holy God. And we're sinful people. And what he told Moses is that I cannot be, there cannot be any sin in my presence. When we talk about salvation, when we talk about being born again, that's exactly what we're talking about, is that something has to be done about the sin in my heart, the sin in my life, the sins that we all commit. Something has to be done about that before I can enter into the presence of God, whether it's in prayer and communion here on earth or if we're talking about heaven. Something has to be done about my, about my sin. There has to be a covering there. There has to be something that covers or takes away my sin. So there's this separation, this buffer, if you would, between man and God so that man would not be judged by God, but instead would have their sins atoned for, forgiven, so that they could be accepted by God. This is the purpose of the priesthood that the Lord established through Moses to the children of Israel. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ became the finished work of. If you read the book of Hebrews, it talks about it all the time, that Jesus Christ has become for us our high priest. Now, interestingly enough, in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6, God had said this to the children of Israel, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. That is, that you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This was God's desire for the nation of Israel. This was God's desire when he brought them out of Egypt and was bringing them by the way of Mount Sinai through the wilderness to the promised land, God's will for the people of Israel was that they would be a light to the whole world, that they they would be a kingdom of priests, a representation of God dealing with man, that they would go between the people of earth and God. That was was what God's... plan was for the nation of Israel ultimately. And so when he tells Moses here for them to make this tassel and to put that blue thread in the tassel, it was very much representative of that priesthood, of that being a royal priesthood. Uh, now, interestingly enough, in the book of First Peter, uh, chapter 2 and verse 9, Peter says this to the believers, to you and I. This is what he says. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Interesting, isn't it? 
Because this is what God had said to the nation of Israel. I want you to be a kingdom of priests. I want you to be to the whole world a representative of my love and my forgiveness that everyone can take part in. And the same exact thing the Lord says to the church, to us through Jesus Christ, that we are a royal priesthood because of what Christ has done. And so these tassels that were given to put on the garments of the children of Israel as a reminder. And remember what God said. You shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember the commandments of the Lord and do them. That's the first thing. And that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. So it's two, twofold, the purpose of this tassel. It's remembrance, that they would look at it and remember two things. First of all, that God had called them, that God had brought them out of the land of bondage, that God had brought them out of the slavery, slavery of Egypt for the purpose of being his own special people, and that they would remember the commandments that he gave them there at Mount Sinai. The second part of what they were to remember when they looked at the tassel is to then not go after the things that their own hearts in their basest form desired. Uh, the same exact things, the same exact desires, the same exact urges that we have time and memoriam up until this day. Every single one of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not, has these innate desires within us to satisfy the lust of the flesh, right? The lust of the eyes, the Bible calls it, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. This is what is common to man. And these are the things that all of us naturally are inclined towards. But what God has given us by the power of the Holy Spirit as Christians is this reminder, this, this, this ability to stop and say, well, yeah, of course, I would like to do that. But is that profitable? It's not a matter of doing something and being condemned for it. A Christian can blow it and go down to the local bar and you know, drink, the, drink the place dry and then go back home and collapse in his bed. When he wakes up in the morning, he's no less or she is no less of a Christian than he or she was the day before. God's forgiveness follows us wherever we go, God's grace, God's mercy. But that's not God's plan for us. That's not what God wants us to do. He didn't save us. He didn't call us out of bondage, as it were, to sin and death for us to continue doing all of the same things that we were doing before. The apostle actually talks about the fact that when you become a follower of Jesus, your friends are going to think it's strange that you don't run after all of the same things anymore that you ran after previously and that they are still running after. There's something that changes when you begin to follow Jesus Christ. It's not that you change yourself, but your relationship with Jesus Christ changes you. We were talking earlier this morning about just the fact that so many people, and maybe this is you this morning if you're listening to this message, that so many people think, if I begin to follow Jesus Christ, if I become a Christian, I'm going to have to give up this and this and this, and this, and this, and I'm going to have to start doing this and this. But that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is simply surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ, acknowledging the fact that I'm a sinner. Uh, that I all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that includes me. I need a Savior, and that's why Jesus came, to die on the cross for my sins. I accept that. And I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want to follow after him to the best of my ability. That's as far as you need to go. He will take care of the other things in your life. And what we were talking about this morning, me and another brother, was it's like falling in love. When I met Nikki and I knew, 
I knew like almost straight away that this is the girl I'm going to marry. There was not one second, not one millisecond that I thought to myself, geez, I wonder what I'm going to have to give up for this lady. I wonder what I'm going to have to give up for this girl. It's going to be a real trial. Uh, In second thought, maybe no, no. Nobody, when they fall in love, maybe, probably, I can't imagine, has ever had that thought. When you meet someone and you fall in love with someone, the only thing that matters is that love. And let me cue you in on something. If you have not been in love before, and those of you who are in love or have been in love, you know this, it will change you. Being in love with someone will change you for the better, hopefully. And that's what it is, being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus Christ, to know him, to understand his nature, is to love him. And as we follow after him, it's that love, it's that relationship that will cause me to change. It's not me not being able to do something. It's not me having to do something. It is the natural progression that goes along with being a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's why he says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, uh, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so here it is, God the Father telling Moses to have the children of Israel put these tassels on their garments that they would look to them and remember the commandments of the Lord and remember and remember that I have been called not to serve myself, but to serve God. I have been called not to follow after my own heart's desires, everything that I want all the time, but to follow after what God has called me to do. Verse 41, he finishes with, I am the Lord your God. And he always would remind them of this. He always said this. He repeats this phrase over and over and over again in Scripture. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. And of course, for the believer in Jesus Christ, Egypt is representative of the world. Egypt is representative of sin. That's the bondage that all men, all women, all people find themselves in. The same bondage. We are all in that same bondage to sin. And Jesus Christ came to rescue us from that bondage of sin. And anyone who would reach out to him, anyone who would say, I want that gift in my life today. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's yours. It's yours to have. That gift of God is for all people for all time. And I pray that you would make that decision for Jesus Christ today. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you so much, Lord, for uh, this gathering of people together, Lord, even though we're over the airwaves, and it's so different than our regular church service, Lord, but we're grateful And thankful, nevertheless, that we can study your word together, and we pray that you would encourage our hearts and that you would draw us closer, Father, to your heart, Lord. We ask that you would uh, be revealing yourselves to us, Lord, through these difficult times that we find ourselves in, and that our focus uh, would not be, Lord, on the trouble around us, Lord, but our focus would be on you and what it is that you would have us to do, Lord, during this difficult time. And that we would not be dismayed or lose heart, Lord, but we would be... uh, anxiously awaiting your soon return, Lord, return of your son, return of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask, Father, that you would help us to have those hearts, and we pray that you would bless each person, Father, who's listening today, and all of our brothers and sisters around the world. We pray for their safety. We pray for their protection. We pray, Lord, for all of the doctors and nurses and uh, emergency workers, Father, who are dealing with this virus today, Lord. We ask that you would watch over them and protect them, Lord, and that you would use them 
to save lives, Father. And for those of them who know you, we pray that you would also use them to shine the light of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody.